All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for this word, this story, which maps on so well to our personal stories, tells us the story of your good news told through the life of this man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And we pray that you would now open our minds and open our hearts, that we would hear from you personally, and even see you with the eyes of our hearts, and see your Son. So help us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of laughter in this passage. You might have noticed it. Laughter, as we are continuing our study of the life of Abraham, this great patriarch of faith in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And you've got to start and ask this question, well, what are we talking about here as we examine this great theme of laughter? What is laughter? Laughter is sort of this little explosion of joy, isn't it, in our hearts, in our lives. It's a burst in our hearts, a burst of noise, sometimes audibly, a burst of emotion. And if you think about it, laughter is so wonderfully complex, can mean different things depending upon its tone, mean different things depending upon its volume. It shows up in all different kinds of situations. You know, there's, there, there are low-intensity kinds of laughters, you know, the sort of <laughs> chuckle. Or a little giggle that you might let out. Or there's a high-intensity kind of laugh, you know, where you laugh so hard that you start to cry. Or you laugh so hard that you stop making any noise at all. That kind of laugh. Or Woody Allen, he reminds us of another kind of high-intensity laugh when he says, I am thankful for laughter, except when milk comes out of my nose. Another kind. Laughter displays our individuality, I mean, isn't it interesting that you can hear a friend or you can hear someone laugh from across the room or maybe on the phone and you don't even see who's doing it, but you know who they are, who it is that's laughing. So many unique different kinds that marks us out as individuals, you know, like the machine gun laugh, (laughs) you know, or maybe, uh, you know, snorters, people that can't help but start snorting while they're laughing. Or maybe people that laugh in a really high pitch. Or yellers. You know, when they burst out laughing, it's so loud, it startles you and it makes babies cry, maybe. (laughs) Happens sometimes. Or there are run-out-of-the-room-ers. I actually had a friend in college who literally, when someone cracked a joke, and sometimes it wasn't even that funny, but he would laugh so hard, he would just dash out of the room. And we would say, where did Teddy go? We'd have no idea, but that's kind of how he would... Laugh. Laughter brings us together. It expresses friendship, doesn't it? Being able to laugh together. One sign of genuine relationship. You know, if you were to ask some people, well, if you're on the dating scene and you're looking for someone to date, what are you looking for? How often do you hear people say, well, I'm looking for someone that makes me laugh? not only expresses friendship, but even actually deepens friendship, too. We, we tend to feel more bonded with people that we laugh with, don't we? It's something about the way our hearts are opened up to each other in a moment of laughter. Community here and neighborhood groups at large, laugh one with another 
It's part of growing in intimacy in our love for each other. Laughter is all these things. Laughter does all these wonderful things. So maybe it's not surprising to hear that the Bible talks about laughter as a gift from God. As an overflow of an experience of the reality and the grace of God. When God comes into our lives, he brings with him joy and laughter. Which is not to say that if you're not laughing, that you don't have God or you don't get the gospel. We're not putting laughter in absolute terms. After all, life is full of sadness and loss, and pain, and sorrow, and sometimes depression, and genuine faith does not deny our sorrow. And on this idea, Eugene Peterson, a great pastor, author, his words are helpful when he says one of the most interesting and remarkable things Christians learn is that laughter does not exclude weeping. Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come, but they are unable to drive out totally the happiness of the redeemed. Today we're looking at three passages in the story of Abraham spread out across different episodes in his life. The story of Abraham and Sarah, and it teaches us more about gospel laughter, illustrating for us three different kinds of laughter and then showing us three ingredients of genuine gospel laughter. Shall we look at it briefly together? Three kinds of laughter and three ingredients of genuine, true laughter. So three kinds of laughter that we find here. Starting off, first of all, by noting that there are dysfunctional forms of laughter as well. First of all, we find the laughter of disbelief. The laughter of disbelief. We see this in Abraham in Genesis 17, 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed. And said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? God had promised Abraham years before that he would bless Abraham, give him favor that he doesn't deserve, including giving him a place of significance in God's purposes for the world, that he would bless Abraham and make him a father of a great nation that would bless all families of the earth. Starting with giving him descendants upon descendants, starting with giving him one son, which he had been waiting for year after year after year. Some of you are waiting as well for different things. You know how it feels. Abraham hears that promise again and he laughs. Sarah too. Genesis 18, the second story. Three somewhat mysterious travelers come and pay Abraham and Sarah a visit. It slowly becomes clear to us that these are two angels or messengers and God himself. We know that it is God because in verse 1 we're told the Lord appeared. In verse 10, the Lord said... So Abraham jumps in there and according to good ancient Near Eastern custom... 
offers generous hospitality to these visitors. Fixing them up a great banquet, a great meal, asking Sarah and his servants to prepare this and prepare that, just outside the tent, watching his guests eat as is normal in that time, with Sarah just inside the tent, quietly listening in on this conversation. And when God repeats his promise to Abraham about Sarah, soon, now, finally, one year away, She's going to bear a son. Sarah laughs. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, I'm old, past the age of childbearing. And what's behind this laughter? Well, God tells us. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? And in verse 14, he answers his own question with a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Why did she laugh? Because she believed it was impossible. There is a kind of laughter, friends, that really arises out of the cynicism of our hearts. It's deeply a different kind of disbelief. It sounds a little like this. Or, ha! Disbelief in the form of laughter. Cynicism towards a God who intends to break all of our categories and shatter what seems to be a controllable, realistic world exploding our imaginations because if ever there is a God who is worth our worship and our time, I hope he can do things that are unexpected and beyond our imagining. And yet there are ways and times in which our hearts become hard with cynicism, having a hard time believing things that you can't predict or things you can't see, a jaded kind of laughter that sees everything as kind of ridiculous maybe even keeping an emotional distance from everything, just being critical of things. Is that you? Standing on the outside, never letting your heart engage with anything. Maybe just operating on the rational. Maybe it's because you've been disappointed. Maybe you're afraid to hope. Maybe your hopes have been shattered. Maybe you don't want to go there again, and so you just stand far off with cynical laughter. A second kind of laughter we see in this passage is the laughter of mockery. In that third passage, Genesis 21, verse 9, we see after Sarah has given birth to the promised son, Isaac, she sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, that's a reference to Ishmael, Abram's first son, whom she had born to Abram, laughing. Laughing. This is the laughter of mockery, laughter that's always putting people down, laughter that's always ridiculing other people, making fun of them. It's loveless and it's actually joyless, though we can call it laughter. You know, people that are always feeling the need to belittle other points of view, whether politically or theologically or in conversations about sports, everyone's view is just idiotic and everyone you're debating with is an idiot. How can you believe that or how can you think that? And it often arises out of a deep 
sense of looking down upon another person with superiority. Ishmael here is 14 years old. He's technically and legally the oldest son in the family. Does he have a posture of looking down and putting down this young boy that was just born? You know, because oftentimes mocking laughter is used to assert power and control over other people. It's laughter, but it's actually something that's suppressing the glory of other people. And often it arises out of deep insecurity. I mean, we don't know for sure, but was Ishmael feeling deeply uncertain about his place in the family? For sure, for years, he's heard in his own family and in the community about this promised inheritance that would be given to this promised son, Isaac. He's heard and he's felt the eager expectation all around us. We're even told a great feast was thrown for this child, very different from his upbringing when he was cast aside and almost lost his place in the family. So often, this kind of mockery, mocking laughter, arises out of a deep insecurity that I'm not so sure about my place in this world. I'm not so sure about my significance in this family or in this job or in this group of friends. So I need to make you look inferior so that I might feel superior. And so let me mock you and laugh you down a few notches on the ladder. Thirdly, however, we see a laughter that you might call a laughter of overflowing joy. We see it in Sarah in Genesis 21. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting, waiting, waiting. Sometimes faltering in their waiting and in their trust. We have seen that time and again as we have tracked their lives and their story. It's been 25 years since Abraham first received God's promise. He is now 100 years old. Sarah is 90. Sarah becomes pregnant and has a son. Verse 6, she says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There's a a burst of joy in her life. There's a relief even of these, from these years of unfulfilled longings, finally fulfilled. There's even a near humor of how God chose to do it through this aging couple. Far beyond any natural circumstances, God miraculously, by His power, by His grace, in His kindness, gives them the fulfillment of this promise. And this so defines Sarah's experience of God's grace that the very name of the child will always remind her of her laughter. The name Isaac itself means he laughs, she laughs. Friends, what kind of laughter do you most identify with today? 
Is it the laughter of cynicism? Is it the laughter of mockery? Is it the laughter of overflowing joy because of your great unexpected experience of the promise of God? Laughter actually is like a barometer or maybe a window into our hearts. It shows us what's bubbling inside. Shake us up and see what bubbles over on the outside. What does your laughter or lack thereof tell you about your soul and your engagement with God and his good news? What does it say? Take a look. Ponder it. But maybe more importantly, how do we get this third kind of laughter, this overflowing joy? How do we get it? How can we be transformed like Abraham and Sarah who moved from this cynical kind, this jaded, this disbelieving kind of disposition towards God to this burst of joy? In their lives, how do we do it? The Bible does not give us any simple formulas. You know, especially on this topic of laughter, we know you can't force it, you can't manipulate it. You know, it's why we can always tell, even in our normal human relationships, you can always tell when someone is quote unquote forcing their laughter. It's fake. It's supposed to be spontaneous. It arises from a place deep within. It's why you don't find in the Bible anything like, here are ten steps towards greater laughter. And if you're told that from a passage like this or elsewhere, it's not the real deal because we know, you know it intuitively. That's not how laughter works. But what the Bible does give us are ingredients for genuine gospel Laughter. Notice what's on Sarah's mind when she talks about her newfound joy. Here we go. Three ingredients of gospel laughter. I'll give you three little W's. Ingredient number one is weakness. Weakness. When Sarah begins to laugh, it's because she has begun to see what God has done in providing a son, seeing what God has done through the lens of her weakness, that she is old and that she has been barren and infertile. In verse 7, she says, I have borne him a son in his old age, referring to Abraham and Sarah's old age. And in verse 6, she knows she's totally helpless. God has brought me laughter. He's brought me laughter. He must bring it. He has given it to me. You know this in our normal experiences of laughter. It takes some vulnerability to laugh well. You kind of have to be a little bit disarmed and a little bit exposed in order to laugh. It's why children laugh so easily. Because they're not so aware of themselves and they're not concerned about putting forth a tough or a strong image. There's an importance of of self-forgetfulness. We are not so self-conscious in order to give up a good, hearty laugh. Where you're not so self-protective or cynical as we talked about before. Where you actually dare to be hopeful 
where you have joyful abandon in your life, your heart is wide open to the people around you. Isn't that when you laugh the hardest, when you laugh the freest, it's no different with God. If you want to experience joy in God, you've got to be willing to be weak before God. If you want to experience laughter with God, you've got to be willing to be weak before God. Not coming to him saying, I'm smart, I've got it all together, I've got it all figured out. Not saying, I could have produced the fulfillment of this promise of yours or anything in this life of mine by my own power and by my own strength. No, like Sarah to say, I am helpless, I have been helpless, I always will be helpless. It's only through the lens of my weakness that I can see what God has done and rejoice. Because he has done it and done it well. Some of us don't experience joy and laughter because we're stuck pretending to be strong all the time. And it takes gospel vulnerability, weakness, to let God create little explosions of joy in your heart. Ingredient number two is wonder. First, weakness. Second, wonder. Wonder. Listen to what Sarah says in verse 7 of chapter 21. She says, who, who would have said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said this? Who would have predicted this? Who would have seen this coming? Who would have thought? Friends, laughter by definition catches you off guard. It's just a burst that arises out of nowhere. That's why sometimes when you laugh, you sort of blurt it out and you're a little bit embarrassed. Why? It just bubbled over because it was there, not because you told it to happen. And the minute you tell it to happen, it sounds weird. And everyone knows it in the room, right? There is no laughter without the ability to be surprised. For your heart to be able to be shocked or awed or surprised at what God is able to do in your life. Remember what God said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, the second passage there. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is what you're missing, Sarah. Is anything too hard for me? And in other parts of the Old Testament, that same phrase, too hard, is also translated wonder or wondrous or marvelous. What's God saying to Sarah? Your lack of joyful laughter is because you lack wonder. There's no wow in your life. God hasn't surprised you lately, or rather you have not prepared your heart, readied your heart to be surprised by God. Wonder, awe, do you have it? How did Sarah get it? She's experienced 
qualities and characteristics of God that created surprise and wonder that eventually led to her chapter 21, joy of laughter. A couple things. The surprise of the power of God. God does the impossible. He provides her 90-year-old body, the fertility and the fruitfulness of bearing a son. Where she actually sees God do something larger than her, something that she could not do for herself. Producing a son that would be the answer to all of her present needs. And how much more true is it, the great son that God had produced by another woman in another impossible circumstance 2,000 years later to Mary, who also would be visited by some messengers from heaven and who would be told there will be a son that comes from your body. Impossible though it may seem that he'll do something even more impossible. He will save and rescue people from their sin and selfishness. People like you and me, that God himself through Jesus would devise an impossible plan whereby he might love us and rescue us. This is the surprising power of God. But Sarah also saw the surprising forgiveness of God. The surprising forgiveness of God. In Genesis 18, Sarah is hiding out in the tent after she served the meal. And she's listening in on God talking with Abraham. And God telling Abraham, look, in about a year's time, we're going to make good on this promise. You're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs, right? That cynical, unbelieving laugh that we talked about before. She laughs at God, and he's just a few feet away. And God confronts her on it, talks it out a little bit. He says, why'd you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. He says, yeah, you did. She says, no, I didn't. And you just can almost imagine kind of like when dinner guests go home from your home and maybe a roommate of yours or your spouse, you turn to each other and you say, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I do? You could almost hear Sarah turning to Abraham and say, oh man, I think I really blew it here. Whatever we had coming our way and whatever plans God had to fulfill this promise with this kid, I don't think it's coming no more. I don't think so. Surprised by the forgiveness of God that he would still, even despite her unbelief and cynicism, still show up and give her the fulfillment of this promise, not because she deserved it, but because his promise, God's promise was grounded in his character, his promise, his nature, not in hers. Her character, her nature, her promise. This is the forgiveness of God. Friends, have you been surprised by it lately? Whether if you're new to the Christian faith or you've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, when was the last time that you fell to your knees and you said, I don't deserve this. I can't believe you're offering this to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For forgiving me of all people, me of all people, forgiving my sins. 
Through Jesus on the cross. This Jesus who lost the laughter of God His Father. They were in perfect, harmonious, mutually enjoyable, infinitely joyous relationship one with another. And yet in judgment, God cut it off and gave His Son on the cross nothing but the torture of His wrath cut off, losing the laughter of the Father so that in His love we might gain the laughter of the Gospel. The surprise of the Gospel, the surprise of being truly forgiven of your sins. The surprise also, not just of the power of God and the forgiveness of God, but also the friendship of God. The friendship of God. We sang about this earlier. Chapter 18. Do you realize the stunning feature of this story? God comes over for dinner. God came over for dinner. Shared this intimate occasion with Abraham and Sarah, and especially in the ancient Near East, when you shared meals, it was being in face to face, even sometimes covenantal, intimate relationship with each other. This is the only time in the Old Testament where we see God Himself in some form eating food together with His people. Later on, Abraham is described as being God's friend. A special relationship that they enjoyed together. Almost allowing Abraham to treat him as a peer. I mean, this is what's special about sharing meals. Why meals are important for us to share one to another in community and in the neighborhood. Why? Because whether if you're reclining on the ground on a cushion as they would have been in this day... Or if you're sitting at a table, as you often are in our day, or sitting on a couch together side by side, whatever your eating style is, notice you're almost always eye level. You're looking at each other closely, personally, as peers. This is what God invites Abraham into. And we even see this in the way that he treats Sarah. God lets her get eye level with him too. You know, this comical back and forth. Nuh-uh, yuh-huh, you laughed. No, I didn't. He could have squashed her in a second. Told her the truth. He lets her banter back and forth. She's defensive. She's even lying, we're told in this passage. And God, in His gentleness, allows for this back and forth in relationship. Here's the thing. For some of us, this idea of God being our friend is no surprise. Maybe you think you're owed it. Or maybe we think, well, that's kind of just what God does, right? He just becomes friends with people, and the answer is no. The Bible tells us again and again, by nature, we are in rebellion against God. All the ways that we seek to be God ourselves in our lives, running from Him. He's laying out a table, and we're saying, I don't need that, I don't need you. This is our natural instinct. We are talking about God here 
who has sat down at a table with a sinful, unfaithful, forgetful, flawed person like Abraham, like me, like you, the God of the universe, sitting in such an intimate way. Not a flippant thing. A personal thing, but not a casual thing. Abraham, in fact, knew it was God. We know this. He doesn't just throw out cold pizza on the table. He goes out of his way to set up what we know is actually, by all commentators' accounts, a royal banquet. Three seahs of flour for bread. That's about six gallons of grain. Fine flour, the best quality. He runs to the herd, chooses out a choice tender calf, curds and milk. It's a royal feast because he knows that even though God has treated him as a friend, he still is God. Do you know God in that sort of way? Intimate and yet still holy. Still exalted, close personal, surprisingly personal, but precisely because he is God. Because you know you have no right and no place sitting across from him, sharing in such intimacy. Not as a human being, not as a sinful human being. And here is Jesus that gives us that place at that table This Jesus who on the cross lost his friendship with his father in the wrath of God, losing his friendship so that we might gain the friendship of God and sit at his table to dine with him face to face and eye to eye. And one day, not just metaphorically, but literally face to face. So friends, how is your wonder? How is your wonder? If this is an essential ingredient of gospel laughter, how is your wonder at this God of grace? Or to use the words of Sarah, have you recently thought or felt who would have said that? Who would have said that I could be forgiven by God? The surprise of his forgiveness in your life. Who would have said that God would eat and dine with me? The surprise of his friendship. Who would have said that God would have done this impossible thing for me? The surprise of God's power. Weakness, wonder, and the third ingredient then, witnesses. And briefly, witnesses. In verse 6 of Genesis 21, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Literally, it says, everyone who hears about this will laugh in regards to me, will laugh because of me, because they will hear my story, my experience of God, my being surprised by the grace and the power and the kindness of God. Sarah's laughter and her experience of God's grace produces more laughter in the lives of those around her. Gospel laughter is contagious. 
And we know this in just general human terms. It's why laugh tracks exist for sitcoms. It's why babies will laugh back at you when you just make laughing noises. Laughter begets laughter. It's how we're wired. It's how it's meant to be in community. Laughter deepens friendship. We mentioned that before, but friendship also deepens laughter. And there is no true sustained gospel laughter apart from genuine community. Will we be a laughing community? And I don't mean that in the flippant sort of sense. And I don't mean that in a way that denies the true and genuine brokenness and sorrows in life. Speaking of, (laughs) learn from our children. A community of laughter, a community of rejoicing, a community of joy, a community of surprise, a community of wonder, a community of weakness, a community of intimacy with God and one another, a community that knows how to laugh. May God make it so. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this little tidbit, this little expression of the reality of the grace of God in our lives I don't know if we would think about it in this way if you wouldn't put it before us. So thank you for your word. Show us how to respond. Bring more of these ingredients into our lives. Do this for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.